Good morning. This is the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Phil Cooper. I am a partner in the real estate group of Ice Miller. And as you know, the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast is a real estate podcast on a national basis, but focused a little bit in Chicago today as we sit here. Today, we are with Mark White, the chairman and CEO of White & Company, a top-tier architecture, engineering, construction firm headquartered in Chicago. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Phil. It's good to be here. Mark, uh, tell us a little bit about the company in general. I can I can read the bio, but I always like to hear it from from the person themselves. Well, we're architects, engineers, and builders. Um, we also have a transportation and infrastructure group. We have around two hundred professionals, and we're effectively in every market except healthcare. We and don't do a lot of industrial either. Geographically, where, where are you? Um, I'd say that we're in the center of the United States, so we don't do work on either coast. And then we do quite a bit of work in the Middle East. Fantastic. And, you know, the, the company does or is involved in a, a billion dollars worth of construction annually. It's a tremendous amount. And as you say, you have 200 design, engineering, and construction specialists, which is a lot of uh, advanced degrees all all under one roof, so to speak. So um, can you tell us a little bit about your role as chairman and CEO and when you took over the firm and, and sort of your journey? Well, I should probably start by saying I'm not an architect, I'm not an engineer, and I'm not a construction professional. I actually uh, went to law school at Notre Dame following a BA from a place in Oregon called Reed College, where I was fortunate enough to be in the same class as Stephen Jobs. I had to slip that in. That's that's pretty cool. But anyway, I was uh, very happy in the Northwest speculating in real estate and with a small law practice when my dad got sick. And uh, as I like to say, he tricked me into coming back to Chicago because he asked me to come back and to transition his small firm of about 15 people to the people that worked there. And uh, when I returned, uh, I found that we had more debt than revenue. The whole family was kind of caught up in the business. And as a consequence, I'm still here 33 years later. Um, And it's been a lot of fun. You know, I think that design professionals and construction professionals, for that matter, are probably the best people to work with uh, in any discipline. They're creative. They're highly motivated. They're all interested in a legacy. Um, you know, and, 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 and you can see what you've done. Certainly in the practice of law, you never see what you've done. And if you look at law, that's kind of built on hindsight and, and fault. Uh, and hindsight and fault have no room in a professional design practice. Um, so it's really uh, been a lot of fun. And, you know, along the way, we've done some interesting things. Um, certainly, we pioneered uh, qualification-based selection for construction companies uh, in the public sector with our design-led, design-build approach. So probably that would be my legacy. We'll see. I'm, I'm getting to the point that I'm thinking about that occasionally. So I, I always like to say that 
you're, you're one of the successful ones that got away from the practice of law. It gives me hope that I might go into something where I actually build something. Uh, but, you know, let's talk about design-led, design-build, because I think that's a critical, as you point out, you know, that's a critical distinction between your company and a lot of the other service providers out there. And, and also, I was having a conversation with someone the other day that had a pretty sizable construction process but it was one of their first. And so they're trying to figure out the process between hiring an architect, an engineer, and a construction company. And so I think if you can explain your design-led, design-build approach, that will help, um, well, one, explain to people a little bit about the process and how you you hire those types of professionals, but also it'll let you explain what's, what's unique about White & Company. Well, let me get into design-led, design-build. It, it means you have one multidisciplinary team from one company that works on a project from the very beginning to the very end, trying to drive value and quality. Um, and when you remove the tension that exists between an independent, say, architecture company and a contractor, uh, it's remarkable what happens. So when there's two firms, even even when we're friends, because we do a lot of work where there's an architect and a construction manager that were picked based on qualifications early in the process. And we certainly like that better than design bid build, which seems to be going by the wayside. But still, every meeting <clears throat> is started with requests for information and change orders. And there's really a lot of stress um, that goes on between the two teams because each company's first order of business is to protect themselves. And when you remove that and you have only one team with sort of one goal, remarkable things happen. Uh, but maybe the most important is uh, we've been demonstrating for 25 years a 10 to 20% cost savings. And then, uh, you know, vast periods of schedule savings. So we just finished a or we're finishing a design build job for the University of Chicago. And Jim McConnell there would tell you that uh, our process saved him two years in schedule. Wow. Um, so it's pretty impressive stuff. And you haven't met many people that wouldn't uh, go for a 20% cost savings. Now, in addition to that, there's a lot of other soft things that are terrific. It's, it's way more fun. So you don't start every meeting, you know, with this whole change order debate, which is off, you know, you go to the OAC meeting and the first thing you talk about are requests for information and change orders. And that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the meeting every single time. And it's good to get away from that. Um, so uh, we do, I'd say, 30 percent of our work, 35 percent of our work historically, uh, annually is design led design yeah, it's really cool. It makes a lot of sense just to streamline the process. I mean, uh, anybody who's we just to boil it down and simplify it, like if you have a home and you have a contractor do something, inevitably, if something goes wrong, the next contractor will be like, well, why'd they do it that way? And so you always have a dug and pull. And also, if anyone has been involved in a construction dispute regarding, you know, why did you install that? the HVAC units at this capacity, it's always a series of finger pointing where I assume 
you know, if you work with a design led design build firm, such as yourself, it's just, uh, the question is not whose mistake it was. It's just, how do we fix it? Um, that's, that's exactly right. Phil, I like to <clears throat> refer to some of those issues where everybody stands in a circle and points left. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so everybody's blaming everybody else. And you certainly don't have that in, in a design build job at all. Um, you know, the other thing that you don't have uh, is a contractor <clears throat> getting paid to find mistakes. Um, that's always an, an issue. And then an architect that digs their heels in, you know, without warrant, which happens all of the time. You know, the architect will say, hey, it's on the drawings, build it the way I drew it. <clears throat> and the contractor is always trying to find errors because they're effectively paid for it. I remember early on in my career, I was at, we, were, we designed a police station for the village of Broadview. And I was walking around there one Friday afternoon, sort of incognito. And I overheard a construction superintendent tell a plumber, don't worry about it. We'll pay you to put it in. We'll pay you to take it out and we'll pay you to put it in again. And, you know, that's kind of fundamentally flawed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, you know, you've, you've mentioned that you did some work for University of Chicago or you are, and then you did some work for Broadview. Um, your company gets hired. It seems like a, by a lot by both uh, large institutions, both private and public. Can you just tell us a little bit about some of your more well-renowned or some of your, your mantelpiece projects? Well, I think four and a half years ago, we combined with uh, Dirk Lohan and Floyd Anderson's firm, Lohan Anderson. And uh, that whole team is still here. And that portfolio, their portfolio is now part of our portfolio. <clears throat> and when you get into that, there's some really um, impressive stuff like the whole museum campus, uh, Soldier Field, uh, the addition to the aquarium, the addition to the uh, planetarium the Blue Cross Blue Shield building, and then other stuff that White & Company's done. We've done over a billion dollars worth of work at Great Lakes Naval Training Station. We did the all the concept designs and the infrastructure for the uh, South Campus expansion at the University of Illinois at Chicago. We represent around 40 school districts, uh, some that you might recognize as we did the recent addition to New Trier High School. And uh, we're now been retained to do um, another addition up at New Trier. Working now in, in Hinsdale, uh, there's a large job. Uh, North Shore School District, there's a large project. Uh, you know, and then higher ed. Uh, we've, 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 we've done a bunch of work, uh, you know, at, at smaller schools and larger schools. Um, Parks and Rec is a nationally recognized uh, group. Um, there's a very exciting project that we just won, which is a $130 million school for autistic children in Doha, Qatar. Um, and that's very exciting. And it kind of follows on the footsteps of a previous project we won in Doha, which is uh, to imagine the school of the future. And uh, that project is just finishing. We're doing the furniture selections right now. So that's a smattering. That's really cool, though. I mean, the museum campus alone, anybody in Chicago is, uh, will instantly know about 
what a remarkable project that was. Uh, are you also doing the new Will County Courthouse? Yes. Um, thank you. Which is uh, about two months from being dedicated. Um, <clears throat> that's a $220 million new courthouse that just uh, displays, it, it's just transparent. You know, the goal of the client was to make justice transparent. And, uh, and, and this building does that. And courthouses, it's our fourth courthouse, fourth or fifth. Well, fourth for sure. And, um, you know, they're complicated buildings. You have three different circulation patterns. You have a private pattern for judges and employees. You have the public um, that come in and out of the courtrooms. And then you have uh, secure for anybody that's been incarcerated. And so, you know, all three of those circulation patterns, they only meet in the actual courtroom. Um, so they're very, very fun projects to design. And uh, my partner for my entire career, my design director, Kevin Havens, you know, is uh, truly an expert um, in that. He's, he's, he might be the greatest puzzle solver I've ever encountered. And not only does he solve the puzzles, he does so beautifully. Well, I'm excited about that one uh, because I, I used to go out to the surrounding counties for a court when I was a little bit of a younger lawyer. Uh, still do a little bit, but there was a lot of litigation back in the last recession. I just remember going out to the Little County Courthouse. It is the opposite of transparent right now. And they have this audio recording that plays outside of it while you stand outside to get in about putting your cell phone camera away. And it, it it always reminds me of the old Schwarzenegger movie, The Running Man, which is a 30, 40 year old reference. But it's just um, let's just say it's due. And I'm excited for your project. And I think it will be a huge improvement. Well, we did Kane County's courthouse. We did DuPage County's courthouse. We did an addition to Lake County's courthouse. We did an addition to Winnebago County courthouse. So, you know, <clears throat> courthouses that are, are in our wheelhouse. We're actually chasing a courthouse now in Portland, Oregon. We'll see. We haven't done any work on the coast, so we'll see if we can win that. Well, I'll bring you back to your old Northwestern roots. Well, thanks for telling us about those those projects. And, you know, you and I had an interesting conversation, and we're recording this in late August. It'll probably go up in September. And I always like to date these things because ever since, you know, March 12th through 15th or so, we learned that the world can change within two weeks uh, or a week or a few days. So I was just, but we had a conversation just about um, what you're, and I always like to ask what people are doing now that we're still in a remote environment. Uh, and then there was a push in June, July, the, the back to work push. And, but you know, now different companies have different philosophies on it. Um, but I thought it was interesting that the way your company was handling it, also that your company was hiring new professionals uh, recently and sort of the challenges with that. So can you tell us how you're handling the, the back to work phase? Let me start out by saying <clears throat> I was um, skeptical that we could all move home and continue to produce world class design on time and on budget. And I was uh, just and, and remain <clears throat> remarkably surprised at how effectively we were able to do that. And I think that in the virtual world, I, I think there's an argument that communication is even better 
And a lot of our technical designers and engineers would say it's more efficient for them to work at home than it is for them to work in the office. And, and I agree with that. I believe it. What's lost in the work from home environment, in my judgment, is mentoring. So like you, Phil, we're in a professional practice and part of your job is to be able to mentor the people around you. Um, and that's true, I think, for everyone. Even the young have things to say, you know, that uh, help older people. So, you know, mentoring is, uh, is key and is a very, very important part of any organization. It's certainly a very important part of our culture. And that's hard to sustain remotely. Um, it's difficult when, you know, a young professional can't ask or has or struggles to ask a spontaneous question. So I'm not saying no mentoring is occurring. I'm just saying it's more difficult. So we've been trying to get people back into the office. Um, and it's been a little harder than I would have predicted. Um, we're up to, you know, 40%, maybe in the middle of the week, much less than that on Monday and almost nothing on Friday. But of course, we only had half day Fridays anyway before the crisis. Um, so now if I come into my office in Darien where there's usually 120 people or something, you know, there might be five of us on a, on a Friday. On a Monday, the management team is here. And so there's more, maybe 20 or 30. And then where you get up into some density seems to be the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And most of the people that you talk to are happy to come back to work. On the other hand, they kind of like the commute from the bedroom to the dining room or whatever that commute might be. And, uh, and, and so they're staying home a lot. And then there are some people that are still scared. They're just afraid to come to work. And I think we have to respect that. So, you know, we're encouraging people to come back. We're certainly not demanding it. Although I'm in a construction peer group and I'm the only company in the peer group that isn't demanding that his workers come back to the office. That is interesting. Thanks for explaining your philosophy. I think you're probably, from what I've heard, you're probably getting more people back in the office than a lot of the companies and you're not demanding it. They just seem to be going back. Um, maybe because maybe it helps that you're out in the suburbs rather than core downtown. Uh, less well, we have, no, we have an office at Clinton and Lake. Oh, that's right. That's right. <clears throat> right. And, and in the normal times, there's 30, 40 people there. Um, but, <laughs> you, you know, we converted that to bench seating. Okay. So, it, you know, you can only now occupy every other station. Mm -hmm. Right. So we can't even get up to 50% density in that office. In our suburban office, we can actually get the capacity is a little bit more than half of the density that we can, you know, allow. So we can get quite a few people here. And and it's still kind of an old style, you know, 15-year-old office <clears throat> that has a very generous uh, workstation. So everybody, you know, the workstations are designed more than six feet apart. So they're, they're different environments, um, you know, and, and both environments are cool. Yeah, I, and I want to highlight something that that you said because I've I stole this from you after the last time we talked, Mark. I ta I I must have said this in at least five other discussions. 
Um, and it's a, that mentoring aspect. And the phrase you used was so perfect to describe what I have been feeling. And it was the sp- opportunity for spontaneous questions. And that's what we found. You know, you, you can have, especially if professionals who have 10, 15, 20, 30 years of experience, the working from the home office, you have that 20 years of experience to fall back on. But, I, you know, you almost have to go out of your way to really focus on mentorship because a lot of what we do as young professionals, whether it's a lawyer or I assume construction or uh, engineering or architects, is simply being around the more senior professionals and listening to them on the phone with clients and listening to them work through their thought process and that opportunity for spontaneous questions like, oh, I see you, you did that. Why'd you do it that way? And that's some, sometimes the the heart of, of training someone how to think and how to react that you can't get from a textbook and you don't pick up from emails. So... I just wanted to point out that I, I agree with you that the moving back to the office really has, even though you can be very efficient working from home, I think it's sort of the, the training and the growing and the developing a culture aspect, uh, being around other humans has a tremendous value. It's interesting, Phil. We <clears throat> did a number of polls of, of our team members and um, counterintuitively, the people that want to come back to the office the most are the young people. You know, you'd think, well, the young people are very tech savvy and they're used to sitting in front of a screen all day and, you know, and, and they probably adjust to, to home quite well. Where in the poll results, it's the young people that all want to come back. And I think part of that is that they want to learn. I think part of that is their living situation may not um, adapt itself as well as some others to work from home. <clears throat> and then the, the, you know, the group that I really can't get my head around are, are, are working parents with young children. Oh my goodness gracious. Um, you know, so you talk to some of these parents and it's, 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 it's a logistical feat for them to be able to maintain full-time jobs and homeschool their kids. So actually <clears throat> we're, Looking, I, we, you know, we have a, a, a neighbor here in our suburban campus that hasn't come back to work at all, and they have a big open space on the second floor. And I've talked to them about renting that second floor, and we'd create our own kind of pods of children um, in, in there to try to help with the homeschooling. Um, so we'll see where that goes, but certainly we want to do that. Yeah, people are getting. I, I fall in that category of two working parents with children, and uh, it is it does have its own set of challenges. People are getting creative, though. I, I have some friends that are all they had four families band together, and they hired a teacher uh, to help with the homeschooling, so that they could, you know, it, it reduces their cost if they all band together and they have a pod of children. Um, but it's really interesting how people are just being forced to come up with creative solutions. And, and even though the commute from the bed to the office is very quick, um, what we have found actually is I would like a little bit more of a time to transition from being in full work mode to going back to uh, parenting the children is that I actually missed that train ride home where I got to catch up on some social media or listen to a podcast and sort of have a time to go from lawyer fill to dad fill. 
Um, so even though it's very fast going from the, the commute, you know, we've been experimenting with trying to get other decompressing uh, transition times uh, to go back. So, you know, one thing that I just wanted to ask you about, because this kind of dovetails into it nicely, is just what are your thoughts on, since you're you're both uh, in management uh, of a company and your construction design, uh, you're a leader of a construction design firm, uh, architecture firm, you know, what are your thoughts on the future of office? Because I know while there's value to getting people uh, together in a room and in a work environment, I know many companies are also really excited about the opportunity to cut back on overhead. And so, you know, what are your thoughts on the future of, of office? Well, you know, they're all over the place. So I try to keep my ear to the ground and I talk to uh, real estate professionals all the time. And uh, in, in, in my judgment, everybody's all over the place. So um, I don't think there's any consensus yet. I could say from my own opinion, I doubt an office tower will be built in Chicago in the rest of my life. Wow. I'm sad. I'm sad to say that. Um, but, you know, I owned a restaurant at Washington and Michigan Avenue called Tony Patisserie and Cafe. Last year, we did $1.7 million out of a semi-service kind of casual, uh, casual food patisserie and cafe. And this year, we've closed it for good. Um, there's, there's, there's nobody there. There's no trade shows. You know, there's uh, no tourists. And there's no office workers down there. And of the people that we do talk to, for most of them, you know, they say that, it, you know, coming back into the office isn't even on the table in 2020. So they're talking about maybe they'll start coming back in spring of 2021, but they don't anticipate anything like the density that they've had before. And so I've watched a number of, of podcasts and I've talked to a number of people and Janet Jay of our firm heads up our interiors group and she's very savvy. Um, and, and they're talking about how the office is going to, at least for professionals, the office is going to exist to support work from home rather than the other way around. Mm. And, and that's an interesting proposition that, um, you know, might change uh, our designers thinking uh, as, as to what, what an office is and what's the purpose of the office. It's, it's quite revolutionary and I think a very exciting time to be alive. It definitely is. If it wasn't for all of the uh, the, the fear and the, you know a lot of the un, unknowns, uncertainties, uh, I'm sure historically this will be this period will be well examined. Um, but you're absolutely right about the density in Chicago. I mean, I just saw Preda Manger just announced they're closing all their Chicago locations except for one, I think, because their sales were down 87 percent. So. And it's simply, as you say, due to the density, uh, the lack well, of Pancotidian has closed all of their locations. Yeah. You know, I think Goddess and Baker, I don't think she's going to last that much longer. And uh, it's just tragic. What Rick Bayless said, what, 80% of independent restaurants in Chicago are going to close before the end of next year. 
that's just that's just striking. I mean, it it, it changes the whole it, it it changes the whole flavor and tenor of the city. You know, I've lived in in Chicago for twenty five years. I currently live in Lincoln Park, and it's different. You know, it's different when you can't go to the opera and you can't go to the symphony and uh, the restaurants. Most of them are closed, and the ones that are open, you know, you've got the face mask and you got to sit outside and it's very little density and uh, it's just it's a different place to live now my wife and i we're committed to the city we're not going anywhere um, but having said that a lot of the reasons that people live in the city aren't there anymore yeah yeah and all that to be be close to culture be close to restaurants and to be close to your workplace um probably you know three of i don't know what the top five or ten are but that's those three have got to be in there. Uh, I want to be respectful of your time, but uh, Lito, let's just talk about moving forward. Um, your company has grown quite a bit since you took over, and I imagine you know you all are still doing a tremendous amount of projects. Um, but can you just tell us a little bit about uh, how you've grown the company, or, or been part of the growth of the company, and and, and how do you envision that going forward? Well, companies like ours, you, you, you grow by winning work. <laughs> it's, it's just that simple. So we win work in competition. Um, and then once in a while, you, you know, you'll win a job where the client will have another job. And uh, so we like to think of ourselves as relationship focused. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to beat out your competition. And uh, we're pretty good at that, uh, touch wood when I say that. Uh, you know, we outwork our competition. And I think that's what it takes. What I think is as a CEO, when you're trying to manage a firm like this, uh, a real focus on culture matters. One of my favorite expressions is that culture trumps strategy. And I think that you can gauge the success of a firm based on the functionality, particularly of its senior leadership team. But the functionality of the entire team is what matters the most. And that's what I'm focused on. And especially in times like this, you know, you're going to need to be nimble. Um, and, you know, sometimes you have to be pretty ruthless. Uh, I hate to say that, but it's true. Um, you, you know, because the funnel of new work is not what it usually is. Um, and that's just uh, that's just true. <clears throat> so we're winning more than our fair share. 2020 is going to be a great year. We're just very, very busy. But 2021 and 2022 are a little bit murky and it's hard to say what's going to happen. Uh, and in many of our markets, uh, whether there's a stimulus package or not, is very material. Um, and so. You know, we'll we'll see if there's a stimulus package. Um, if there's a chance that we'll do okay, there's no chance that we'll do great in 2021. Um, however, in the next two years, I think we're going to see more opportunity than we've seen probably in my career. If you go back to 2008, we hired a lot and we started two groups from scratch. We started our mechanical electrical plumbing uh, group and we started a building structures group. And, and it was great because you could hire the people that you needed to be able to build the group in that climate. 
And that climate is coming again. And so we'll be able to hire people that we wanted to hire for years, uh, but we're never able to, and, and now we can. And I think that the opportunity to grow geographically is going to be greater than it's ever been. And so as a company and as the leader of the company, I think what you want to make sure is that you have uh, no debt and that you have uh, a lot of cash. And uh, we've got no debt and we have more cash than we've ever had in our history. And then I think you have to run the business without subsidy, um, right? But you need to be poised to take advantage of these fantastic opportunities that are certainly coming. And in the meantime, the other thing that we're doing is investing heavily in our transportation and infrastructure group. Uh, we have a new leader there who we completely believe in, and I think there's going to be work for quite a while on the transportation and infrastructure side. So we're hiring engineers just as fast as we can. So it's, it's going to be a wild ride these next two years, Phil. Yeah, no, that's super interesting, just all of it. Um, because, you know, similarly, like a law firm, I'm always trying to think of how to grow um, and how to to win more work and how to outwork the competition, as you say, and how to focus on culture and communication. And it takes a real um, attention and persistence in order to to do that in, in a remote environment. And, and I think that, you know, if you ask almost anybody, um, was there a lot of opportunity in 08, 09, 010 to take advantage of the change in markets? And and certainly like as a real estate investor, uh, I mean, everything was on sale. Um, but, you know, no one felt that at the time or very few people did, had the vision to do that. So I think I, I'm very confident that you're right that there will be a ton of opportunities, some of which you probably like transportation infrastructure are already aware of and and probably a lot that you don't know what will be there in 2021, but you know that there'll be something. Um, so it's important just to keep focused and keep your eyes open. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, to build on something you just said, Phil, it's, it's interesting. I actually think communication is better virtually. We, we did a whole bunch of stuff when we worked from home. So a lot of social Zoom meetings and a lot of so, you know, virtual social gatherings. And, and then we implemented, uh, well, we had you know, senior leadership meetings every day for several months. Now we're, we used to have them once a week. Now we're back to twice a week. Um, but we instituted town halls that are just remarkably popular. We get close to 100% attendance and very little drop-off. And we used to do them every week. Now we're doing them every other week. And it's funny how many people I bump into if I Zoom bomb one of these social meetings or now when people are actually back in the office and I can walk up and talk to them that say they've, they've learned more from our town hall meetings than they learned, you know, coming to work the last 10 years. So there's, there's a lot of stuff to work from home that's going to be part of our culture forever. Uh, it's really great that you're doing that. What I've I've been a partner of three firms now, and what I've learned is the partners always assume that everyone is aware of the concepts that they're talking about and how <laughs> information is being considered, but but not as often as the partners think are people actually disseminating the information uh, broadly to everyone and letting them in on you know what. The, the company's thinking about. So I'm sure those town halls are 
uh, well attended and well received when you're when you're sharing information and thoughts about how to navigate these times. Yeah, we're now turning them into a lecture series. So on, on Wednesday, we had this structural engineer from New York, a lady that uh, did the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, which is revolutionary from a structural engineering point of view. And uh, as, as, as an example, you know, she was just so inspiring and aspiring. And I think before we were in this virtual world, <clears throat> we wouldn't have thought of it. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that uh, is going to stay with us for a long time. Mark, I, I really appreciate your time. Um, I really appreciate you sharing everything about the company and your, your journey as the CEO and chairman and uh, letting us learn a little bit about your company and how it's going to navigate these turbulent times. And uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, Phil, it's been fun and it's uh, good to get to know you a little better. As you know, we, we know your firm well. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, Mark. This publication is intended for general information purposes only and does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. The listener should consult with legal counsel to determine how laws or decisions discussed herein apply to the listener's specific circumstances. 